chapter 4. A couple of weeks ago, a small group of us went up to Stained Glass Theater and um, seen the play The Stranger in the Lighthouse. It was a powerful story um, about the Chalfont family who, um, through this story, you, it's a story of forgiveness, it's a story of reconciliation, um, in the story, Will Chalfont uh, was a missionary or felt he was called to be a missionary. His dad was a missionary before him who had gone over to Africa and in a, a revolt had been killed while he was in Africa. Well, in this story, the stranger in the lighthouse, an old man shows up at this house that, that is next to the, the lighthouse And when he walks in the door, um, the mother who was in there, her name was Katie, Katie Chalfont. um, When he walked in, you just heard this anger and disgust in her voice when she looked at him and said, why are you here? I thought you were dead. And he began to tell her that he had no place to go. Well, through all of this, we found out um, that Louis Chalfont was the old man who came into the house. And Louis, in his previous life, had been a very evil man, a very hateful man, a very cruel man. And he had had kicked out his son and daughter-in-law, kicked them out into the cold, and he had done a lot of mean and, and evil things to him. Well, Lamar, or, or Lewis, was, a, uh, was in the last stages of his life. He was dying, and, and he had gotten saved, and he was trying to reconcile with his family. He had went to his daughter-in-law and had begged for forgiveness. He knew that his son had, had perished in Africa, and after he got saved, he went to Africa himself to try to continue the work that his son had started. And so Katie had put Lewis up in the lighthouse, the stranger in the lighthouse, and she despised him. She despised what he used to be, and she prayed and she prayed and she prayed, and she continued to pray for forgiveness that she would be able to extend forgiveness to this man that she had learned to hate over many, many years. Well, meanwhile, as Louis Chiffon laid in the the lighthouse uh, dying, there was an evangelist that came into town by the name of Lamar. Lamar was an on-fire evangelist, and he was going all over the country, and revivals were breaking out everywhere. He went, well, Lamar's last name was Chalfont. Lamar Chalfont was the evil brother. And when Will, or William, the father, had, 
had announced that he was going to Africa to be a, a missionary, um, Lamar got in a physical altercation with his brother and was physically beating him in the face as his brother began to cry out how much he loved him and how much God had loved him. And they parted ways. And through all of that, Lamar had gotten saved. And he said, it was the words of my brother, the words that he spoke when I was physically abusing him. The words that he spoke is what had kept rolling around inside of my head. And he said, it was through those words that I, I got things right with God. And so now you have uh, Katie and Lewis and Lamar, all of them are, are now in the same city. Lamar and Lewis had not spoken in years. They had a big falling out. It was about a family who fell apart. And God brought them all back together in this little town of New Haven, Maine, into a place called Raven Cottage. And through all of that, and you've seen God soften the heart of Katie. And she prayed that God would soften her heart towards Lewis. Well, her son, Willie, William, took, him, took her to the revival. And when she walked in, she seen her brother-in-law, Lamar, and had a meltdown. She not only hated her father-in-law, but she hated her brother, his, her, her, her brother-in-law. And her brother-in-law, Lamar, had come to uh, Raven Cottage to ask for forgiveness. And to make a long story short, this was a, a memory. This was a story of memory. The, the gentleman... Willie, who was the young man, was the one telling the story as an old man as he remembered the things that had happened. Well, in this story of forgiveness, Lamar and Katie fell in love and were married. And Will, William Chalfont, had felt called as a missionary to go to Africa. He knew that he knew that he knew that that was God's will for his life. And he told his fiance, he told everybody in his life that he was called to follow in his father's footsteps and to go to Africa. And he announced this to his family, he announced this to his fiance, and his fiance said, I'll not go. You're going to have to choose. You're going to choose between your want to go to Africa or between your love for me. You're going to choose. And William fell down before God and he said, God, I will do whatever you call me to do. He said, I will, I will leave everybody. I will turn my back on everybody to follow your will. Meanwhile, through all of this, his fiance started seeing another man, and it was more than William could take. And so he went to his fiancée and told her that he wanted to marry her and that he would not go to Africa. 
And at the end of the story, one of the most powerful plays I've ever seen at Stained Glass Theater, at the end of the story, the old man William was getting ready to get onto a, a boat to go to Africa. But he spoke of regret. He said, I knew the will of God for my life. And he said, I gave it up for the pleasures of this life. And the old man that was playing William, every now and again, he would break down and begin to cry. I mean, he was really crying. I told him at the end of the play, I said, thanks a lot, man. You had me bawling like a baby. He said, you didn't see me? I was struggling up there to keep it together. And William said, he said, you know, he said, I I continued to follow God. He said, I did the best I could do. He said, I went to seminary. He said, I became a pastor. He said, not a very successful pastor. That was his words. He said, I tried to follow God. He said, but I missed God's will for my life. And in the end, his wife, when she was dying, she laid in her bed and she told and spoke of regret for stopping William from going to do what God had called him to do. And although he served God all the days of his life, and he he did the best that he could do, it was never right in his mind because he was not in the perfect will of God for his life, and he knew it. He knew it, and he spoke of great regret. He said him and his wife had a good marriage. They raised kids. They had His daughter was now going to be a missionary in Africa. But he spoke of deep, deep regret because he had gotten out of the will, God's will for his life. So let me ask you this this morning. How important is God's will for you? in your life how important is that to you how important is it that you know that you know that you're walking in god's will for your life how important is that to you this morning if you said very important if you feel that it's it's a very important thing for you to understand your will god's will for your life and that you're walking in that let me remind you that james is talking to us this morning, and James says that actions speak louder than words. If it is very important for you to be in God's will, the real question is, are you? Are you in God's will for your life? Just take a moment and think about that. Are you where God wants you to be? Are you actively living in God's perfect will for your life? Or are you currently living in your will for your life? Maybe you don't give God's will a second thought. Maybe you're just kind of floating along. You're just kind of rolling with the tide. You're just rolling with the punches. Whatever life brings, you just kind of get on board and go with it. Maybe you never think twice about God's will for your life. Maybe you're not in God's will and you know that you're not in God's will. 
You know what it is. You know what God has planned for you. You know where you're supposed to be. And you are dissatisfied with that. Or maybe you love God. And you just don't love Him enough to allow Him to be Lord of your life. To allow Him to dictate what goes on in your life. To dictate what you do. I mean, isn't going to church enough? David wrote in in Psalms chapter 40 and verse 8, he wrote this. I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Now that's either 438 or 48, because I've got two different ones here. Psalms 143.10, he wrote this. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. And then Peter urged Christians in 1 Peter 4.2, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. And John described believers in 1 John chapter 2.17, and this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. And then Jesus taught in Mark chapter 3 and verse 35, anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And then again in John seven seventeen. Anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely my own. And then he gave this dire warning in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. So now let's listen to what James has to say. James chapter 4 and verse 13. Go to now, or come now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go to, into such and such city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for just a little time, and then it vanishes away. For that that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not... To him, it is a sin. See, in James 4.13, James is addressing that person who habitually lives life as if there is no God. 
They don't consider God when they, they make plans. They don't consider God when they, they, they put things before themselves. They live as if God does not exist. They don't have a second thought about God. Now, let me make one thing clear as we look at this. There is no moral, moral or spiritual boundaries that are crossed here. It's not a bad thing to make plans. It's not a bad thing to, to want to go somewhere and to do something or, or to make a profit. There is nothing wrong in that. What makes it wrong is the fact that, that God is left out of the plans, that there is no plans that include God. There are five statements of my will, not if God wills. First off, it's the time, today or tomorrow. That's my will. Location, such and such city, that's my will. The time spent there, a year, that's my will. Choosing your vocation to buy and sell, to buy and sell, which is literally to engage in trade. My will. And then your own goal to get gain, to make a profit. That is my will. Once again, no problems with the plan except that it excluded God. God was not involved in any of the decisions that were made. You see, Jesus gave this parable on the matter in Luke chapter 12, verse 16 through 21. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile field that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and my other goods. And then I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend... You have enough stored away for years to come. Now, let's take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. You will die this very night, and then you will get everything that you worked for. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not to have a rich relationship with with God. You see, too many of us have this crazy idea that we're in charge of our lives. That we're in charge of our days. You see, when we ignore God's will, we bit we forfeit the benefit of what goes with it. The peace of knowing that the omnipresent, which is the God is everywhere, omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing God, weaves everything together to make it happen. Romans 8, 28. We forfeit all of that when we don't include God in our daily plans. When it's my will. When I don't consider God in anything I do, we forfeit all of that. My way, my will, my strength. His way, His will, 
his power. See the difference between the two? Do you want to do things in your own power, or do you want to depend upon the, the, uh, the power of God? So how many of you know that when Elohim, God, wants something to happen, neither hell nor high water can stop it? Psalms 37, verse 3 through 5 says, Trust in the Lord and do good, and then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. And then Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Give it to God. And through all of his strength and all of his powers, it will happen. Look at verse 14 again. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then it vanishes away. I was talking to a gentleman the other day. I've known this gentleman for 20 years now. I hadn't seen him in a while, and I went up and I shook his hand. and I said, how you doing? He said, you know, I, I just celebrated my 80th birthday. I said, man, that's awesome. Congratulations. And he said, here, he said, if my wife don't divorce me in the next few days, we're going to celebrate our 60th wedding anniversary. I said, man, that's awesome. And then he said something very thought-provoking. He said, at my age, years seem like months. Months seem like days. Days seem like hours, and hours seem like minutes. And I thought about that. And you know, I have never once, not one time, have I ever heard a mature individual, you notice how I choose words very wisely, I have never once heard a mature person look at me and say, man, I didn't think I would ever get here. It took forever for me to get old. Every time, every time, every mature person I speak to says the same thing. Time went by so fast. I blinked and I was here. Life is but a vapor. Job had many references to this fact. In 7.6, he said, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. In 7.9, when a cloud vanishes, it's gone. We're only of yesterday, and we know nothing. Bildad put it this way, days on earth are as a shadow. In chapter 9, verses 25 and 26, he says, my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They slip by like reed boats. 
like an eagle that swoops in on its prey. And then in verse, chapter 14, verse 1 and 2, he says, Man who is born of woman. Let me take a survey. How many of you were born of woman? The rest of you get with me after church. I want to figure out where you came from. Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. Hmm. Life is but a vapor. And then Psalms covers it also. In Psalms 90 and verse 10, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and then we fly away. And then Psalms 102 verse 11 says, My life passes as swiftly as the evening shadows. I am withering away like grass. Now look at verse 16. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such boasting is evil. You see, the, verse, the first group were living like atheists. They were treating their life like there was no God. This group, they believe that their plans are more important than God's plans in their life. They believe there's a God, and they believe he has a will, but they proudly reject it. You see, the word translated rejoicing there means to be loud-mouthed. That's somebody who is loud and bodacious and and braggadorious about what, what they have going on in their life that is not God's will. They love to brag about disobeying God's will. The other day I was talking to a young man, 19 years old, 18, 19 years old. And I told him, he asked me if I was going to be in the gym on, on Saturday. And I told him I was. I said, but I have to get in and get out. I said, because I told him, I said, I'll be there long before you get out of bed because he, he doesn't get up early. I said, I'm going to be in there and out before you even come in. I said, because I need to be out at the church by noon. That's when we were going to Stained Glass Theater. And he told me, he said, oh, you're right. I'm not going to get up early in the morning because I'm going to be out partying all night long. So I told him, I'm going to church tomorrow. And he said, I'm going to party tonight. And he was bragging about the life that he was living. He was bragging about the fact that he is not in God's will, doesn't care that he's not in God's will, and he was boasting about it. He was very uh, uh, braggadocious about it. I don't even know if that's a word, but I'm using it. You see, James says that this type of boasting is evil. It's evil. The, the intentions, the reason for the bragging, all of it is evil. I don't know what his purpose were. I don't know what his intentions were. 
I don't know if he was trying to stir me up, if he was trying to upset me, or if he was just spitting in the face of God. But whatever it was, it doesn't matter. It's evil. Look at verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So, we looked at the person who's living like he's an atheist. We looked at the person who, who believes there's a God, uh, but, but is braggadocious and, and proud of the fact that he's not with God. Now, this person, they believe in God. They acknowledge the importance of his will, but yet they stand at a crossroad and they disobey God's will. This was will shall font. He knew what God's will was for his life. He had no doubt what he was supposed to do. He stood at a crossroad, and he could choose door A or door B, and he chose the wrong one. He chose the pleasures of this life, the temporary pleasures of this life, and did not take the will of God. And James says, to this man, it is a sin. And, you know, I believe that this sin is the worst of the three. Luke chapter 12, verse 47 and 48 says, And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved and did what deserved a beating, will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So when you know to do right, and yet you do it not, it's a very severe thing. You see, Jonah is a great illustration of that. Jonah knew what the will of God was, was to go to Nineveh and to preach to those people. But he hated the Ninevites. He hated them. I will not go preach to those people because if I do, they're going to get saved. And then God will show them their mercy, and I don't want mercy for them people. And we all know how that turned out for Jonah. He came out smelling like fish, and not in a good way. I don't know if there is a good way to smell like fish. (sighs) (laughs) To him, it is a sin. You know, I have to be careful when I look at that. I've made the comment before that sometimes there may be things in your life that are sinful, that wouldn't be sinful in my life. I made that statement before and had people quit the church because they thought I said that if you feel bad about it, it's sin. If you don't feel bad about it, it's not sin. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this, is that it was sin for William Chalfont not to go to Africa. It would not be sin for me not to go to Africa because I don't feel called to Africa. I have no desire. I have no calling. I'll send my money to him, but I ain't going myself. So for Will, it was a sin because he knew. For me, it wouldn't be because I have no calling to Africa. 
Now look at verse 15. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. You know, this past week as I studied this, I found myself doing this. I did. I found myself going, if God's will, if it's God's will, I'm going to do this. If it's God's will, I'm going to do that. If it's God's will, I'll see you Friday night at the singing. I found myself doing that. I found myself wanting to do that. If it's God's will. You see, this is the true mark of a Christian. Living to please his Savior and Creator. That's a, that, that, that's a, a, a true sign. What we should say if it is Jehovah's will, I will marry him or her. If it is God's will, I will move to such and such. If it is Jesus' will, I will get that job. Hmm. You see, living God's will is an act of worship. Living in God's will is an act of worship. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, this is just another opportunity for us to stand before the mirror of God's word. And to determine where we are in God's will. It's another opportunity James has showed us to look at the fruit that we're producing. Where are you in the will of God? Are you living a life that is pleasing to God? Are you where you're supposed to be? Does your fruit match your claims? You see, a strong desire to obey God's will is a strong indication of a transformed life. If you leave out of here and you don't think twice about God for the rest of the week, you may want to re-examine your walk. You may want to see and to figure out where you are with God. But if you spend every day trying to find out what I can do that is pleasing to God. If you get up on Monday morning and say, God, this day is yours. Do with me as you will. Put me where I need to be. Put people in my path I need to talk to. Put people in my path that need to talk to me. God, if it's your will, I'm going to go here. God, if it's your will, I'm going to go there. God, if it's your will, I'm going to make a profit. God, if it's your will, whatever your will is, God, my desire is to please you. That's my heart's desire. That's what I want to do. That's when you know that you've been transformed. You see, 
I've always heard it said that you know that you live a transformed life when you're more concerned about breaking God's heart than you are at breaking God's law. I love my God, and I know that His will for my life is the best. And mine will always fall short. I sure don't want to lean on my own strength. Would you stand to your feet? I want you to think about that this week. Where are you with your walk with God? Are you living God's will for your life? Do you know what God's will is for your life? I heard James McDonald here a while back say that God's will is God's word. If you're trying to determine what you're supposed to do, where you're supposed to go, who you're supposed to marry, the question is, does it line up with this, is what James was saying. Does it line up with, if it doesn't line up with this, then it's not God's will. I can promise you that. I promise you that. If it does not line up with God's word, it is not God's will for your life. Father, we thank you for this day. God, what a powerful word. What a powerful time to come before you. And God, thank you for reminding us that you come before us and you lay out before us all of these different types. Those who live life like atheists. Those who, who, who know that there is a God, but they're, they're rebellious and they're boastful about their rebellion. Those who know that there's a God. Those who know that God has a will, but just don't live it. And God, there are some of us as believers that, that, that come to a crossroad. I know that uh, you want me to go right, God, but I think I would rather go left. But God, there are some that realize that this life is short. This life is but a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow, the question is, what did we do for you in this life for this life to be truly fulfilling, for this life to be to its, its, its greatest potential is to live the will of God, to constantly seek God's will for my life. And I pray for everyone here today, God, that they would take that moment to ask themselves, and God, they may already know the answer, but to look at the reflection in the mirror of your word. Am I living God's will? Am I actively seeking God's will for my life? God, I love your people. And I thank you for everyone that has come out. And I ask now that you pour your blessings out upon each and every one that has come this morning. I pray, God, that their cup overflows with your blessings. And we ask all these things in the very precious name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a phenomenal day.